You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage four prostate cancer. So during the initial stages of the COVID-19 outbreak, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now, a little more than a year later, I'm fully vaccinated and I've rejoined society. But I'm still continuing this podcast when I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. Plus, this year, I'm going to be calling some people and making new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. When Lon Kruger was hired to be Kansas State's head basketball coach back in the middle 80s, I was a senior in college. I was the sports editor of the Collegian, the student newspaper. And as you'll find out, he was the topic of my first great scoop as a journalist. And it's weird to think about now as I look back over the course of time and realize that Lon Kruger, who was such a an important figure in Kansas State sports. I mean, he'd been an all-American, all-conference type basketball player in the early 70s. He was the foundation recruit of the Jack Hartman years in K-State basketball. And then he'd left to play basketball and then started his coaching career at Pittsburgh State here in the state of Kansas and then came back to serve alongside his mentor and coach, Jack Hartman, before becoming the head coach at Texas Pan American in the early 1980s. But when he arrived at Kansas State, Lon Kruger was in his early to mid-30s. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around. And he's been a guy that I've wanted to have on The Life of Fitz since I started it up, but it just didn't happen last summer. And now he's retired from Oklahoma. He turns 69 on August 19th. And I thought, what a great time to talk to Lon Kruger, the guy who provided me my first big scoop. Now let's call Lon Kruger in Norman, Oklahoma. Hello. Hey, Coach. How are you? I am good. How you doing? Are you down in Oklahoma right now? Uh, we are. Yeah. Still in Oklahoma, and uh, we'll be... Uh, in, uh, in and out of Vegas a little bit, but we'll be here for, in Oklahoma for a while. Yeah, uh, not a not a bad gig for your son, and not a bad gig for Dad to have to go visit him. Absolutely, no, we love it. We love it. He's fired up about it, and uh, we'll look forward to, to cheering him on. You must have uh, made an impression if they'd hire your offspring out there. <laughs> well, it, uh, you know, people uh, people had good uh, good feelings about Kevin when he was there. You know, yeah. he. Uh, uh, last uh, last year was uh, pretty good for him, and uh, team was good, and people had good memories. So, what is retirement going to hold for Lon Kruger? But most importantly, it's uh, you know going to be centered around the grandkids. You know, we got uh, 
Angie's got three and uh, nine, six, and three. And Kevin's got uh, one will be two and another one on the way. So uh, a lot of fun. They're great ages, and uh, we just felt like we were missing too much of it. So we decided to make that a little bit more full-time. Yeah, I mean, the coaching is changing so fast right now. Am I am I right or wrong in that? It just seems like the whole landscape of how you have to go about your job is being altered very quickly. It's changing a great deal. I think uh, as much as it's changing uh, uh, today, uh, I don't know that we'll even recognize what it uh, what it looks like three years from now. I think the change has just started, and uh, it's going to magnify with uh, immediate eligibility and and the uh, name image likeness uh, uh, crazy stuff ahead it really is uh, i know you took on some you had success with transfers i mean that worked for you pretty well in your years at oklahoma it's about to get crazy though isn't it, it maybe even already is crazy and i don't know how coaches are going to keep up with this with players coming and going it's going to be different it's, it's something you have to adjust to it's not uh, what we know it to be 10, 15, 20 years ago, but uh, that's <coughs> uh, the nature of anything, I guess. Uh, there's going to be changes, and you just adjust to it and make the most of it and and uh, and uh, try to make uh, make it as, uh, as good as you can. And when you're 68, you say, I'm going to go play with grandkids. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's the, uh, that's the uh, alternative. <laughs> By the way, there's a guy here in Manhattan who heard you retired at 68, and he wanted to know why you're retiring so young. Um, that's, that's Bill Snyder. He, he thinks you got another good 10 or 11 years in you. <laughs> well, he, he did it that way, and he did it pretty well. So no argument there. Which is remarkable when you stop and think about it. He was your age, basically, when he came out of retirement. It's crazy to me. It's absolutely crazy. No, it is. It is. I mean, again, uh, he, he did such a fantastic job, and uh, and uh, everyone is better off for it, for sure. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the start. Silver Lake, Kansas. What was life like growing up in Silver Lake, a community with which you're still you know, pretty well bonded? Yeah, kind of a you know, couple of three brothers that still live in that area, and uh, all the, the nephews and nieces, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was it was an ideal, you know, growing up uh, opportunity. Uh, you know, I was the oldest of six ch- uh, children, and uh, mom and dad's uh, attitude was about whatever they can do to make lives better for their kids, and uh, they did that. They did that. Uh, you know, we never did really have a lot of extra stuff but we had everything we needed and uh, never even thought about not having something so uh, it was great it was absolutely terrific it's a cool town isn't it yeah it is it's a great place uh, they, they love their sports uh, they're you know, good folks uh, good people um, about helping each other and uh, yeah it's a great place that sports environment had to be so formative to you as a young man and and it kind of became your life didn't it it did. Uh, I mean, it was, um, you know, the, um, uh, you know, daily um, agenda, you know, revolved around sports. You know, that was basically the way it was. We, uh, it was sports and family. You know, we did everything together as a family, but uh, sports was right at the center of it. And whatever season was in uh, in session, that's, that's what everyone in town played and, and uh, had a great time doing it. What was Jack Hartman's recruiting pitch like? <laughs> well, I think I think it was a case where uh, 
you know, he uh, got the job a little bit late in uh, in the spring, and uh, I think he realized he had scholarships available, and and uh, just you know, kind of throwing them out there to see if anyone would take him up on it. So it was a pretty easy pitch for him, for sure. It worked out well for both parties. Well, it worked out well for us, that's for sure. We <laughs> enjoyed it, had a great time, and uh, and still communicate with those teammates uh, from those uh, those years, and uh, a lot of very very good memories. You got to look back at those times when you were playing, and it was kind of a golden era of Kansas State basketball, wasn't it? It was. Uh, you know, you think about uh, coming off of the Tex winter years and then Cotton Fitzsimmons had a couple good years. Then Coach Hartman came in, um, was a terrific coach and had great success. And, uh, yeah, it was a great, great stretch there and uh, a lot of good times. What was what was it like to play for Coach? I, you know, times are so different now. Coaches are so uh, – kind of transparent you you're just kind of out there with so much tv social media everything going on but back then it was so different you kind of saw a coach on the sideline that's when as a fan or a you know someone else you that's when you saw him you had to go to a game and maybe a highlight here and there but we didn't know the coaches quite like we know you guys now what was he like yeah it was so much different uh, from an exposure standpoint uh, you know you might have uh you know, one or two games a, a week on, on TV, you know, so you didn't really, you, you, you know, today, you know, everything anyone's doing is captured on camera and you replay it a dozen times if you want to. Back then, uh, like you say, you know, a couple games a week, you see a coach, you know, on the sidelines, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, all the tours around the state, uh, not nearly the, the uh, the alumni stuff. I mean, not nearly like it is today, for sure. And, uh, and Coach Harmon was, you know, very, very close to the vest, very guarded. You know, uh, you know, just uh, you know, not not you know, going to sway too much out of center. You know, he's yeah. he's going to be what he is every day. He's going to expect a lot. He's going to work really hard in preparation. He's going to expect you to do the same uh, as a player. And uh, and he had guys that did that. Any chance we'll ever get him in the College Basketball Hall of Fame? Or is that just passed? I would hope so. Yeah, no, no, I think it's going to happen. I mean, you, you, you just can't even imagine him not being there right now. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I know folks are talking about it and they're working at it and uh, absolutely should happen. I want to share a story with you, and I don't, I don't think you know this, even though I covered you when you were um, – coaching at Kansas State. I was in school, but um, I, I broke at the Collegiate. I broke the story that you were coming back. Back when you could break stories, we didn't have Twitter. You could actually put something in the morning newspaper and tell people about it. It's <laughs> right. a weird world. I feel like I'm talking about covered wagons. Um, yeah. I, I called up Barb down in Texas. Well, I called your house, and then Barb answered, and I just simply said, Barb, congratulations on coming home, and she said, we are so excited, and that is how I tricked your wife into confirming you were coming back. <laughs> <laughs> she would she would be embarrassed if she let something out of the bag. <laughs> that was that, yeah. that was kind of my peak moment in journalism. It's been downhill since, but I had oh. a peak moment my, my junior <laughs> senior year of college. It was kind of funny. Oh, that's great. And, and now nothing really can get broken. I mean, everything's just kind of leaked out and put on Twitter, and and that's the world in which we live. Uh, social media has changed so much, hasn't it? Yeah, it, uh, it's it's changed. Um, 
But a ton, you know, just uh, you think about uh, what you have to deal with, uh, with the players yeah. and uh, talking to them and and uh, trying to alert them as to how careful they have to be. Uh, you know, you know, lives are changed based on what is put out there on social media and uh, oftentimes uh, for the good, but oftentimes uh, not for the good. If a young guy makes a comment or a statement that uh, he would like to take back and uh, you know, obviously he can't do it. It's out there for good, and uh, and it's a totally different world for sure. Let's let's pivot back around to when you came to Kansas State. It was kind of history repeating itself. Jack Hartman went and found you, and you went and found Steve Henson down in McPherson, and you, you found a couple pretty good players at Moberly, one in particular. Um, what was it like trying to put that together on when you hit your your feet hit the ground in Manhattan? Well, we were so excited to be coming back, you know, that, uh, you know, it was, uh, was home and uh, alma mater, of course, and, uh, you know, following coach. And uh, really, it's a pretty easy transition in a lot of ways because, you know, guys uh, were used to working hard. They were used to doing things the right way. They were used to uh, doing it as a team. And uh, so it wasn't like there was a, a need to change the culture in uh, all those respects. So uh, obviously you got some really good players at that time with Coach Henson and, and I guess Steve Henson and uh, Mitch Richmond and and uh, Will Scott and uh, Mark Dobbins and all those guys that uh, uh, did just a terrific job. You had to throw Dobbins in there. Now I, now I got to deal with, <laughs> with that massive ego. Um, yeah, he and I go way back. Uh, yep. When you first saw Mitch um, in person play, did you know he was that good? I don't know about knowing he was that good because, I mean, it's hard to predict, yeah. uh, project a Hall of Fame, you know, type career. But, uh, yeah, he was a special guy because he loved to play and he loved the game. Uh, you know, he you know he read about the game. He read about others. You know, uh, he, he he was all in. He uh, worked hard on his game. wasn't necessarily a, a guy known for his shooting coming out of junior college, and uh, didn't shoot the three a lot even as a junior at Kansas State. Nor did anyone at that. That was the first year. So, um, uh, but he worked on it. He worked on it. Became a very good uh, shooter, and then obviously shot the three extremely well in the NBA. So just a guy that was powerful and could punish you in the paint, but also knock down the jumper and, um, you know, and a good rebounder and, and, every, and good in every aspect. That pull-up jumper with an explosion upward that was made it so hard to defend, uh, it's kind of a lost art, isn't it? That 12, 15-foot jumper that you get off the dribble. It is. You know, uh, analytics today say that that mid-range jumper is not, not something you try to do, and, and so many people are buying into that. Of course, Chris Paul now in the playoffs showing how important mm-hmm. being able to lock down that jumper is. But, yeah, Mitch, uh, Mitch would get his body on you and then explode as you're kind of reeling backwards and uh, get a lot of separation, and uh, shot, he shot it very well. It was just beautiful to watch. It really was. 1988, pretty darn good team, Pontiac, Michigan. Um, how heartbreaking was that loss to Kansas and Pontiac? Extremely, Uh, very, very much so. Uh, When you think about uh, just uh, you know three weeks earlier, it had pretty much uh, you know pounded them in Kansas City in the in the Big Twelve tournament and Big Eight tournament at that time, and uh, then they got on a roll and Manning got going and uh, they they started playing really well. 
But uh, yeah, it was very disappointing because uh, just you know one game away and uh, for the final four, and uh, that was a special group of guys, and would have loved to seen them have that opportunity. My theory is if K-State wins that game, the trajectory of the two programs is much different. Am I crazy? Not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to project you know, when you look back on it. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, that was a you know, big, big uh, upswing for them and, and obviously difficult to sit on the sidelines mm. and watch that uh, as, as a wildcat. I had started my uh, professional journalism career at that point. My boss said, uh, after you won in the Sweet 16, said, you need to go to the game. So me and a buddy drove to Pontiac, and somehow Carol Adolph, the ticket manager, got us tickets in the front row. So oh, wow. I don't know how she did it. She said she saved tickets for students, and we were post-students, but still young. So I had a... Uh, uh, up-close view of that game. And yep. I, I've got something really important I need to ask you about because I want to know if this is a wives' tale or actual K-State sports history. That floor in Pontiac was parquet, and the rumor was K-State was buying it until the game was lost, and then that fell through. Any truth to that? <laughs> well, not, not that I'm aware oh, of. Oh, man. Know, I don't know. Yeah, I wish I, wish I could validate that, but uh... – that uh, maybe the administration had something going that uh, we weren't aware of. But, uh, yeah, that uh, uh, is a good story, though. Good story and uh, could well have been true. I don't know. That was Dang, that's one of my favorite stories. I'm keeping it. It's, it's <laughs> keep, it keep it. It sounds good. Yep. <laughs> uh, when did you know Steve was going to be a coach? I mean, did you just sense it as soon as he started playing that he had that coach thing about him? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. He was a – Coach on the floor, uh, you know, great competitor, uh, you know, all about team team results and uh, just uh, outwork anyone. So uh, yeah, he had all the all the qualities and uh, loved it, and is doing a great job today. Yeah, yeah. It, um, he was at your side for so long. It, it's got to be hard when he did depart. It's kind of it's got to feel weird that you don't have him right there because you guys were kind of a, a great coaching duel for so many years. Oh yeah, Steve was. Uh, I mean, such a such a big uh, big asset for for any program. But uh, yeah, he was uh, great with the players and and uh, you know very genuine in uh, seeing their development and and working with them and uh, and that's why he's so uh, successful today. Indeed, uh, and Kevin, your son. It, it, it just seemed like he was born into it, but boy, he's he's done a little grinding, hasn't it? He's earned, he's earned what he's gotten out in Las Vegas. He's he has he uh, you know he finished up his college career and then uh, played six or seven years in the G League and overseas. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, wanting to wanting to get that next step and never you know could quite get the NBA, but but he uh, had, had good experiences, learned a lot. Uh, like you say, you're kind of grinder in, in that way, and. Uh, then came back in uh, Northern Arizona as an assistant coach and, uh, and uh, did a good job there with, uh, with uh, that program and uh, just as enjoy. He, he just loves it. He just loves it. He loves Vegas. He loves the Rebels, and he's uh, got a passion for being there. And I think that's a good fit at, at the right time. Yeah, that's re- that's really cool. That's that's a nice first job. Um, and uh, but I, y- you've been through it. Is coaching in Vegas a little bit different than everything else? You talk about 
We, we mentioned social media distractions. There's a whole lot of life distractions for kids out there. Yeah, for the outside, it, it, it seems like there, there would be more there. But really, when you think about on campuses anywhere, uh, there, there's plenty of distractions. You know, the biggest distractions are a little bit more, more, uh, you know, more obvious or you assume they're obvious. But really, the kids don't in Vegas, they don't spend much time on the strip you know it's expensive uh, you know there's cameras everywhere so when they do get out of line uh, i think it happened <laughs> one time in seven years that we got a call from someone saying hey we've got a, one of your guys here that really shouldn't be here and that's once in seven years that we really you know thought that you know wow that wouldn't happen if we weren't in vegas but you know there's uh, all sorts of stuff going on on all campuses and there's certainly distractions form uh, anywhere but uh, what appears to be the case in vegas i don't think is uh didn't turn out to be that big of a deal that's interesting that's funny because i i say that almost every time i'm in vegas wow that wouldn't happen if i wasn't in vegas uh, <laughs> True. Uh, when you got out of school you you tried your hand at a little pro basketball you you went back to baseball um do you ever think what if i mean you were a pretty darn good baseball player too well, you always you always look back and and uh, you know think about you know when you look back and see how things transpired. Uh, it uh, yeah, it could have been a lot different. You know, I was talking to someone the other day about you know, uh, Dad and I are sitting there in a hotel in uh, Topeka as a senior in high school after being drafted by the Astros, and had we made a decision to. to go that route instead of Kansas State. You know, I mean, goodness, everything, everything would have been different. Uh, Of course, the best thing that happened to me was meeting Barb, you know, as a result of uh, going to Kansas State. So uh, gone the other way, that would not have happened. And, uh, you know, life would have been a lot different for sure. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of those uh, forks in the road, I guess, that you say if I had done something different, then uh, it would have been a, a whole lot different in the end. That's crazy to think about some of the small, what you think are, you know, smallest decisions or just, you know, decisions between this or that turn out to be completely life altering, You bet. Uh, completely life altering. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. 
and it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Let's shift gears here. I want to talk to you a little bit about coaches versus cancer. I'm not sure if you're aware I have stage four prostate cancer. So um, I've kind of perked my ears up uh, a little bit more about the organization. It's really impressive work what you guys do. I, I want to thank you. It's really important. Well, I appreciate that. And I hope uh, things uh, you know, move forward well for you. Uh, the um, Yeah, the coaches do a great job in the country with using their platform uh, to uh, you know promote awareness, uh, promote dollars for research. Uh, everyone, like you know uh, well, has, has been touched by cancer one way or another, uh, whether family member, friend, or, or, or personally. And uh, it's a terrible disease and uh, making a lot of progress, but still uh, a long way to go. The golf tournament that you help put on every year has got to be a lot of fun, though. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and yet it's great to see the people that are there. This year we had 69 foursomes at oh uh, Kansas State or at uh, uh, Las Vegas, and four of them were Mike Clark organizes uh, from Kansas State, from Manhattan. So um, people have a great time. They play two great, you know, three great courses in Las Vegas. Uh, MGM does a great job, but they don't lose sight of why they're there. And then people are doing it for the right reasons. Uh, uh, you know, this year was $1.4 million hmm. raised. And um, yeah, yeah they, they're proud of it. It's, it's become kind of a reunion. Uh, this was the 14th year. Next year will be the 15th year of doing it and um, raised uh, seven or $8 million over that time. And uh, it's a uh, result of the coaches uh, jumping in there and uh, people, uh, you know, uh, one contribute to a good cause. That's incredible. When when you helped start this, you 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 probably had no idea it was going to turn into this big a deal. We had no idea, yeah, for sure. That's uh, putting it mildly, I guess. We had uh, twelve foursomes the first year, and and really um, didn't know, you know what the uh, we didn't you know have coaches versus cancer. Uh, at the focus at that time we did it uh, you know just uh, we had vegas we had great golf courses we had great weather we needed to do something so we put on a little event we had 12 foursomes and raised thirty-five thousand dollars. and and uh, the following year we got uh, got tied into coaches versus cancer and it was uh, great and then uh, coaches uh, again more and more um, buy into it and uh, look forward to being there and it becomes a little bit of a reunion every year yeah, I bet it is. And um, it's got to be hard. I don't know how much you're, you know, still involved in the leadership of the organization, but it's got to be hard to decide uh, what direction we're going because there's so many cancers, there's so many different types of things, so many battles to be fought. And you almost feel like you are excluding one type if you pick this cancer to, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's almost political now that I'm into the cancer organizations and, and people kind of fight over the attention that's out there. No, very definitely. Very definitely that's the case, uh, whether it be pediatric cancer or, you know, uh, yeah, uh, one specific uh, type. Um, everyone's vying for those dollars. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they need 
more dollars for research and need more dollars for you know to, to, to gain on the on the disease and uh, yeah it's uh, very political very political we were talking last week about uh, you know one group uh, thinking pediatric cancer is not the way to go you know another group thinking that that is only the the only way to go and so yeah everyone's got an opinion and and um, where those dollars go really is determined by American Cancer Society. But uh, the folks that uh, put up the money, uh, always uh, good to, for them to know where, where their money's going. In starting up a nonprofit, which my nonprofit for prostate cancer awareness is in its infancy and the of course, the pandemic kind of slowed everything down. But um, uh, I, I've learned one thing, that even when you're out there trying to raise money or raise awareness, taking a stance against pediatric cancer, <laughs> it's, that's not one I'm going to touch. And, yep. and that hits home with uh, a lot of men. I mean, I'm sure women too, but I, you know, I can't speak for women. But a lot of men are like, well, I know we need to fund this, but I'm more worried about the kids. They got a full life out of them. I'm like, well, there's no argument against that. There's, it's just, uh, it's a weird realm, the cancer research, cancer fundraising world. No, that's that's very true. And uh, again, you, you you hear more and more now. You know, you know, people are starting to give more attention to actually the folks with cancer, and, and you know, doing more to to make their lives better, yeah. and uh, maybe the the lives of the families uh, during the the treatments and and all that stuff. Which you can't argue against that either. So, uh, but again, uh, I mean, everyone. You know, has an idea as to what they think is more important, but um, it's important uh, across the board for sure. Yeah, I've not met anyone who's pro-cancer, so that's good. <laughs> that's true. That's good. Um, what are you going to do with your time now that you're retired? I, I don't imagine you're going to be building birdhouses or anything. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, certainly, I know it'll be uh, uh, the, the, the grandkids will be at the center of it. We'll spend a lot more time or daughter and her family just moved to uh, Puerto Rico, actually, two weeks ago. So uh, Come on. You get to go to Puerto Rico or to Vegas? Puerto Rico. Absolutely. Oh, those, are two, those are two stops. So we'll spend uh, our time between those two places. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, there'll be, you know, you know there's, there's got to be, you know, some value in, in what you're doing. I mean, you can't just enjoy the grandkids, which we absolutely We'll do that. But I think, uh, you know, Barb's been always so good uh, throughout uh, her life of uh, giving back to communities and and uh, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, you know, homeless or, you know, domestic abuse or whatever the case might be. She's involved uh, full speed ahead. And uh, we'll, we'll jump in there in one direction or another. We don't know exactly what that looks like at this time. Well, when you visit Puerto Rico, you'll you'll see a beautiful island, beautiful place, beautiful people. But uh, ever since the hurricane, it's a real struggle. It really is. Yep, no doubt about that. No where, doubt. Where in Puerto Rico? Uh, just outside San Juan. Okay. You know, uh, Sabanero, right near Dorado Beach. You know, so it really is, it's a neat area uh, based on what um, Angie is saying. And they, they love it at this point. And, uh, still, like you say, though, they've got uh, an island, a lot of work to do. Yeah, I've, I've been there once um, and absolutely loved it, and I've regretted that I haven't been back, and I have opportunities to do so, and I need to do so because, um, like I said, uh, it it has its issues. There's no doubt about it, but it is a um, a beautiful place, and the people are just wonderful, really cool. Yep. I'm, I'm really jealous. Um, 
I think we need to adopt children. We don't have our own kids that live in fun places like Puerto Rico and Las Vegas. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, going back to your coaching career now, uh, you leave K-State and, and you end up heading down to Florida. What all went into to that decision? Yeah, that, that was a that was really hard. Uh, you know, never thought about at any stop about you know what what lies ahead. You know, didn't have a plan to to change as often as we did. Uh, Kansas State was probably unique in that uh, that was probably the only time in the coaching career that that I kind of said to myself that the losses hurt there. You know, um, just more than anywhere else. Because I really felt like I was letting down, you know, uh, some people mm. that uh, felt very strongly about, you know, fellow alums. And uh, uh, the only time that I had a little trouble sleeping, you know, after a loss, you know, and uh, and uh, I just, you know, basically Barb and I talked about it. I said, we just, if we're going to coach for a long time, it's probably not going to be Kansas State because it's just, it's just, you know. Too, too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Just too personal. And that, I really hadn't said that too much to others, but uh, that was the only time I really felt that way uh, about coaching. I, I think everywhere else, of course, losses hurt, but still, you know, you, you feel like you're doing what you can and uh, making as much out of it as you can. But uh, the Kansas State was a little different. Yeah. It was, you uh, we probably wouldn't have coached as long if it stayed there, you know, much longer. So, uh, it was a hard decision, but uh, one we felt like we needed to do. Florida to Illinois. I just think it's interesting that Illinois now has had two Jack Hartman players as their head coach. I just think that's fascinating with Brad Underwood being up there. Interesting, yeah. It's, it's hard to imagine that. You know, um, you know, one stop would uh, would uh, would uh, track two two Coach Hartman guys, but uh, but Illinois is a uh, you know Big Ten is a big. Big basketball hotbed, uh, Illinois especially. Uh, the history they've had and uh, basketball in the state's great, and uh, Chicago's great, and uh, and Brad's doing a terrific job. Really, really excited. Uh, you know, uh, had a terrific team last year and nature NCAA tournament. You know, just one one night, not quite there, can end it all. But uh, they'll bounce back and uh, they'll do well. Illinois has got to be a little bit different than most jobs because you've got such a hotbed of recruiting in Chicago. And yet uh, I'm, I'm trying to search for the right word. It, it's a day. It's a difficult place to go in there and, and recruit and, and not get caught up in kind of the basketball politics of Chicago. Am, am I right or wrong on that? No, it's very, very definitely the case. Uh, and, and uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the, it seemed like, from an academic standpoint, you know, you know, you'd like to see, uh, uh, you know, the, the the hundreds of kids that are in Chicago all be ready, you know, academically to go into a big, you know, big Big Ten institution. And and when we were there, the inner city of Chicago actually had very few people, you know, playing in the Big Ten, which is really a sad commentary, you know, from uh, from an educational standpoint. Because there were so many players, but uh, not not you know academically um, you know uh, meeting the requirements uh, at the Big Ten institution. So uh, so it is a fine line there. You know, as uh, the uh, suburbs uh, oftentimes produce uh, 
terrific players, but uh, it was uh, kind of sad that uh, that there were more coming from uh, uh, inside of Chicago. So we get to 2000, you leave Illinois and you go to Atlanta. Um, I never saw you as an NBA coach. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was again when uh, we kind of at a crossroads in our lives. There, we were, I guess, at that time we were 48 years old, and uh, Barb and I talked about you know we've been coaching all our lives, and uh, you know maybe you know maybe there's something else, you know, and even though the NBA wasn't a lot, I mean it was basketball, but it was a lot different from college, and uh, we didn't know at the time when we got the call about you know would we be interested. Uh, you know, we say, "Hey, this this is something different. It sounds intriguing and exciting, and uh, we're happy we did it." You know, we didn't do it well. You know, I was naive. I was naive to it. We got fired in our third year, but but um, yeah, we learned a lot, and uh, it was kind of humbling in a healthy way from a, from a coaching standpoint. But uh, yeah, good people and good relationships, and uh, glad that we did it. How did UNLV pop up for you? Yeah, coming out of. Uh, you know, we, uh, when we were in Atlanta, we uh, tried to hire Don Chaney, who was an assistant coach with the Knicks in Atlanta. And, and he almost came down but decided not to, and he stayed in New York. And then when we got fired in Atlanta, Don had become the head coach of the Knicks. So he uh, asked us if we were interested in coming up there as assistant. So we did it. And then we, uh, we all got fired when Isaiah came in. Isaiah Thomas came in and fired everyone. <laughs> Uh, you know, shortly after, but so we were out of it for a few months, and uh, actually, Kevin was a freshman at Arizona State at that time, redshirting. So we went out there and just followed the, you know, his group, and uh, then didn't know what we were going to do. And then uh, you know, be called, and I didn't think that was you know probably what we wanted to do. But then Brad Rothermel, who also spent some time at Kansas State. And former AD at UNLV, he called back and he said, you know, you know, think about this because he thinks the timing is right. You know, it's been enough years since Tark and, and these people want to do it, you know, the right way. And and uh, you know, so we looked at it again and the more we talked about it, we decided to do it and really glad again that we did. We've been very fortunate that we've really enjoyed every stop. You know, really have. We've met great people and and great friendships uh, over the years and look forward to revisiting some of those during the retirement years. And then you get the call from Oklahoma in 2011, and it was a fascinating hire for me. I, I loved it, of course, but um, I'm like, I'm not sure how long Lon will be there to do that. And and it ended up being your longest stop of your career. It's You were there, what, 10, 11 years? I mean, it's incredible to think about. Um, what connected with Oklahoma so much? Yeah, we were we had been at UNLV seven years and uh, and thought we'd retire there. I mean, we loved we loved living in Vegas. We loved the people there. There's great energy when you live there. It's not all about the strip, you know. There's great community around. Uh, the people there are very charitable. They uh, are very caring for each other, uh, uh, and we loved it. You know, we just built a house there, and uh, when uh, Joe Castiglione called. Uh, you know, we, we really didn't think we would do it. Thanks. And uh, we said that a couple times. And finally, you know, we just decided, uh, you know, it's, it's Big 12. It's back near family. Uh, it's back in the Midwest. Uh, we just uh, said, okay, you know, we'll we'll do it. And, uh, you know, like you say, it turned into 10 years. And, and again, great people, very much like Kansas State people, very, uh, very Midwestern 
uh, great folks, good people, uh, care about each other, and uh, we've had a really, really enjoyable 10 years. It's fascinating, the ties between Kansas State and Oklahoma. I mean, Bob Stoops was there for so long after coaching at Kansas State. Kenny Mossman was there for so long after working at Kansas State. It's really um, – I wouldn't put the two schools together, but as it turns out, there is a lot of commonality between the two, isn't there? There really is. And then people, the Eric Barnhart, uh, you know, uh, Matt, Matt Mossman you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Matt McMillan, yeah. you know, I mean, a lot, a lot of folks that, uh, with Kansas State ties, uh, uh, you know, uh, at Oklahoma for sure. Have you gone to Matt McMillan's bar? Matt McMillan running <laughs> a bar doesn't seem like a good combination. It seems like a fun combination, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, uh, I don't know that it lasted as long as he expected it to. He was open to... I think they've moved a different direction now. Okay. But uh, but Matt, yeah, Matt's great. And uh, and Bob Soup's been great. Uh, I mean, just uh, the impact that he had on the program and success that he had, you know, really second to none and uh, fantastic family. Are you going to stay? Are you? Do you actually live in Norman or? We do. Yeah, we yeah. do. Live on the outskirts. Uh, got some land and some horses. And, oh, nice. You know, Barb grew up with horses, so uh, she loves it. And, uh, I uh, I love it. I don't know anything about them, but uh, I love being around them every day. And and uh, yeah, it, it's great. And uh, we'll eventually, uh, you know, end up in Vegas, but uh, no rush to it. You know, we've, you know, got some things to settle up here and and uh, in Vegas as well. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good times, and uh, we enjoy each day. There's nothing wrong with land with horses as a home base. <laughs> that is uh, very true. They. Uh, uh, so it's kind of a peaceful area and uh, and quiet. We got the turkeys in the backyard and uh, nice. deer occasionally, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun fun time. Did you just know it was time to retire, or did you wrestle with it? Yeah, we wrestled with it. Uh, we thought we'd go another. You know, we, we knew at some point it's going to end. You know, but, uh, then the grandkids are getting older. We started talking about, well, oh, gosh, I'd like to get down there more often. Uh, actually, when when Lou Hill, one of our longtime yeah. assistant coaches, you know, uh, was five years as a coach at Rio Grande Valley, passed away in uh, in February, and and that got our attention, you know, big time. And uh, so we kind of you know started thinking about it more, talking about it more, and then uh, really when Kev got the job in Vegas, we said, well, you know, it's, you know everything seems to be aligning that uh, now now's a good time to do it. So let's go and. Uh, and move on to whatever's next. You sound like you're at peace with it. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, you 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 feel you know. Fortunately, the our staff all landed on their feet. I mean, you're always thinking about that yeah. as well. And the players, uh, you know, with Porter Mosier coming in, they've got a great guy, you know, coming in to coach them. So that's great. And uh, yeah, so everything everything turned out as well as it could have. Some similarities in style between you and Porter. I think so. I, I, you know, I know, uh, you know, I don't know about similarities, but I know he's uh, very concerned about the culture. He's very concerned about, you know, uh, you know the the total player, not just the basketball mm-hmm. player. He coaches them. He coaches them great. Uh, you know, he's had great success uh, at Loyola, and uh, great energy. And uh, I know he's fired up about being here. I was a little surprised he he 
finally pulled the trigger, but it's cool to have him in the Big 12. I think it'll be an interesting brand of basketball to to mix into the conference. I know, you know K-State lost uh, another Elite Eight game to him uh, it, recently in the NCAA tournament, uh, so that'll be very fascinating to have him around, and, and I love his style of basketball. Yeah, he's done a great job. He's had uh, really good players. They guard you, they guard you like yeah. crazy, and they move the ball. They value possessions, uh, play the game the right way. Now, there's a lot of great coaches in this conference. It's it's really incredible to watch. Yeah, very good teams. I mean, it's uh, and coaches. Uh, if you if you don't play well, you're not going to win. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes when you do play well, you don't win. But yeah, the balance and the strength of the league uh, is uh, it's tough to win games. It, it really is, and uh, teams are well prepared and teams are very good. So um, you know, uh, it'll be fun to watch that. Well, one final thing for you before I let you go. I, can you explain why you had so many problems winning in Bramah's Coliseum? <laughs> that was just so strange. Yeah, well, number one, I mean, Bruce does a great job. I mean, uh, their teams are good. Uh, you know, they guard you like crazy. They, they you know, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough place to win. Uh, fans were always great. Uh, you know, uh, we, we, we generally didn't play as well as we'd like to, but I think a lot of that was because of uh, – you know the the Wildcats. You know they guard you well and uh, and uh, you know kind of get in your head a little bit. And uh, we didn't handle that well. So uh, I, don't, I think we won. I think we won once, if I'm not mistaken, out of the uh, out of mm-hmm. the ten years. So it's not a very good record. Uh, it, and Bramlage is great, but it's Noah Hearn, is it? That I just I miss it. I miss it every time I go to a basketball game. I think about the sounds and the smells and the just. How unique a Hernfield House was. Yeah, I think anyone that uh, has hit, uh, history with uh, Her- Ahern, uh, you know, probably a little biased, you know, like uh, you and I are. But uh, yeah, that was a special place and special crowds and uh, those atmosphere, uh, you know, game night were, uh, were hard to beat. Yep, indeed. Coach, I appreciate it very much. And again, thank you so much for the work you do with Coaches versus Cancer. It's it's a, a really neat thing that has really grown into something huge and powerful. Well, I appreciate that. We'll be thinking about you, and good luck with your battle. Okay. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. This was an interesting interview for me because a lot of the people I've had on this podcast have been people with whom I've maintained relationships or I previously had a kind of casual conversational relationship with. Lon was the first guy that really he was only ever been the subject of interviews. I've only interacted with him as a reporter, not as a guy who is a reporter, Because I've had relationships with many people in the coaching and playing profession where we have off-topic conversations and kind of get to know each other. It's never really happened with Lon Kruger and I. So this was kind of a more formal interview than what typically the life of Fitz is. But I really appreciate Coach Kruger giving me the time. He's got some time on his hands. And kind of opening up about his career and he and Barb's lives now as grandparents. Well, that's it for this edition of The Life of Fitz. And, of course, Coaches versus Cancer plays a role in helping with research of prostate cancer and helping out men who might be battling prostate cancer. This is your reminder, guys, if you're 45 or older, get to your doctor to get that PSA scored. Get a baseline score. Get the score you can compare all future scores to. 
just in case. Knowing my PSA score, just by chance, probably saved my life. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you real soon.